Howdy, everybody. Welcome to Becoming Better, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better human being. I'm the host of this show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number 39, The Pre-Mortem. Not laugh. Why? I mean, howdy. Howdy. It's getting cornier and cornier. It's a, it's every a country. Week. It's a rare country edition of becoming better. Howdy, everybody. Whew, with that, should we, I'll should just dive we, right in. Should we get a little country theme song going on, or just stick to the usual? I think we're going to stick to the okay, usual. Thank you for saying that because it takes me forever to find these special intros, and they cost like thirty dollars, which the podcast doesn't make any money. So it's nice to not have to do it. All right. Let's talk about something that you actually recommended to me very recently. Oh, and a new haircut. I mean, that's probably fair. No, I'm COVID just kidding. haircuts are things. So <laughs> I mean, it's been a while. Um, I, I can take some scissors to it right now. I've got some in the drawer in my desk here. Dear God. No, let's keep going. No, the podcasts are, are uh, not a visual medium. I will just say you look beautiful, dear wife of mine. Sorry for interrupting. People are going to be so curious what I look like right yeah, now. Yeah, everybody's going to Google you after the show. Good luck. You will yeah, find good a luck finding two-year-old you. picture. I mean, you'll find me, but it's not a very simple picture. Yeah. Anyway, I'm in the last stages of my PhD or close to the last stages of my PhD. Hey. And I think that comes with a lot of anxiety about finishing in time. Um, so I know this is something I've been stewing over and worried about. Quite a lot, actually. Um, And the last time I was kind of fretting to you, you recommended I do something that I had never heard of, and that's a pre-mortem. And this is a super simple idea um, that really just helps you identify red flags before they actually become red flags. And it's based on the idea... Pink flags. Sure. Yeah. Pink is the only color. Sorry to keep veering us off course here. Uh, Pink is the only color that is the name of a lower saturated uh, primary shade. So there's no light green that it goes by a different name. There's no light blue. There is pink, though. Sorry, go on. Crayola would disagree. Oh, yeah, they probably would. We don't need to go into color theory. Although you have a really cool article on the exact right color to paint your office. True. Which you should go look at. Actually, I love that article so much. the, The one review. Uh, by the way, review the show if you haven't already. We rarely ask, but please, it helps the show out. We have one negative review on the U.S. store, uh, U.S. A- a- Apple Podcast Store, and it's about all the banter on the podcast. <laughs> and so that person is, if you're that person, make sure you update the review because this one has extra banter if you haven't unsubscribed already. Some people love it, though. Yeah, it's not, a lot of people love it. It's one of those things where if you give a talk like 30 times, you're going to get conflicting reviews every single time. But basically what I was saying, I think what I was saying, is that this whole idea of a pre-mortem is based on the idea of a post-mortem. But you do it before anything goes wrong. So like without the mortem. Yeah. Um, but I think basically it's a really cool idea. Super simple. Um, and I think you, you'll go through all the steps because you know this a lot more detail than I do. Yeah, and, and I've done them a lot throughout the years. Essentially what a post-mortem is, is a project goes to absolute and you then kind of pick up the, the pieces after. Uh, so you think, what went wrong? Uh, what can we do to make this not happen again? A pre-mortem is kind of in a similar 
spirit to a postmortem. But instead of picking up the pieces after the project is finished and failed, uh, you do this ahead of time to identify any problems. And so there's kind of three steps that you can uh, identify to doing a pre-mortem. Number one is identify the projects that you really want to go well. These can be anything in your life, essentially. They can be big or small. They can be team projects that you're in the middle of at work or at home. They can be individual projects that only you are doing. Uh, They can be personal they can be professional, uh, they can be things that you haven't started yet or that you're right in the middle of completing. Then you imagine the worst in step two of doing a pre-mortem. So imagine for a second that the project you're uh, thinking about failed miserably. And it's an uncomfortable line of thinking because you don't want to imagine the exciting things you're beginning going wrong. You know, not getting the PhD, uh, a big project that you're putting out into the world flopping. But it's better to think about this stuff ahead of time to make a project more resilient than think about it after all this stuff transpires. Uh, And so essentially, in step two, you imagine a project failed miserably. Uh, Then you ask the question, what went wrong? And if you're doing an individual project, Uh, This is something that you can think about over time. Uh, You can go somewhere to think if you want, but that's kind of tough to come by during these unprecedented times that we're recording in. Uh, So keep a list over time. Maybe keep a sticky on your desk. Uh, Maybe keep a a Word document on your desktop. Um, But if it's a team project, gather all the input that you possibly can from people uh, to, to think about their ideas for how things went wrong. Have people submit them anonymously. Um, You you might uncover some blind spots that way. And then the third step is to make a plan to make your project a bit more resilient because using the knowledge that you collected, the things that you want to do differently that you collected uh, during this process, you can use those ideas to then make changes to the project and, and the plans that you have uh, to make it more likely to succeed. Yeah. So super simple steps, just three easy steps. I know I have started doing this now Now that I've heard of this wonderful oh. thing. Uh, I've started doing it in my work. I've started doing it in some of my personal projects or personal goals. I know you've also done this a whole bunch of times. Yeah. And, and one I pulled up in front of me here because I do it for big launches. And, and the last big launch that I had was a book called Hyperfocus. Um, and so that came out in 2018, which was, we thought, a pretty busy time, a pretty anxious time. <laughs> Little did we know what was around the corner, but essentially I I wrote down a bunch of pre-mortem scenarios that I used to inform the publicity plan for the book, uh, the book itself as well. So I'm looking at my list here. Uh, The very first one on the list... Uh, the pre- I won't say his name uh, so as to not appear partisan, but I will say it's 2018. And the number one thing on my list was the president doing something stupid and dominating the news cycle or the national psyche. Um, again, not going to appear partisan, not going to talk about what president that might be. Could be a president of a company, could be a president of, of a country perhaps. Uh, but a, a few other things. One was not enough podcast outreach, uh, which was a big thing for the first book, uh, lukewarm reception in the productivity community. Uh, I was too, I could have been too busy to promote the book because I had too many talks. Uh, no big media outlets wanted to cover the book because 
who knows they were busy covering uh, other things. Uh, the book received terrible reviews somewhere, which luckily didn't happen. Uh, that unlike the first book, there was less of a story. It was more uh, tactical and, and science-based, which was a worry that I had. And a competitive book, one that competed against that one, landed around the same time. So these are all things that I used, and it's kind of nerve-wracking thinking about the disaster scenarios, everything went wrong. But using this information, I planned more podcast outreach. I, I used it as motivation to write a better book so that people would cover it, so that it would get better reviews. Um, the fact that there was no story, I, I leaned even deeper into the science surrounding our attention. I feel like I'm kind of promoting the book right now, but a, a lot of, we were talking before, a lot of the conclusions that we end up uh, getting from this exercise is work harder and do better work. <laughs> kind of step zero to productivity, but um, it, it's, it's a further propellant uh, for doing good work sometimes, this pre-mortem is. Yeah, that'd be super consistent with what I found when I did this for this hypothetical world where I don't finish my PhD next year. Yeah, what did you find? And I think one of the big ones is that I'm, I spend a little much, too much time working on consulting projects instead of my research. Oh, tisk tisk. No, it's not a tisk tisk thing. <laughs> They're super, they overlap very well and I love what I get to do, but I need to be very conscious of how I divide my time just to make sure I'm making progress towards both. Yeah. And I think the conclusion here was that I just need to be more defensive about the types of projects I take on and mm. how much I spend my time on each each type of task. So that was really, that's the big one, I think. And this is also, I should say, a lot of the items on my list were things that other people had either mentioned in passing or asked like, oh, how are you going to deal with oh. balancing both or balancing having a partner? Cause Such a needy husband, yeah. No, I mean, like, this is a weird thing in <laughs> academia. Like, you see all these horror stories about... People saying, if you're doing a PhD, you have to treat it like a full-time job and not have a husband or a partner or a family or even a pet, which is just insane. Like anybody else in a regular full-time job can do all those things. But yeah. anyway, um, academia needs to realize that full PhD is just a regular full-time job. Although I am a, a high-maintenance husband. You're the easiest person to be around <laughs> ever. What a, I made fun of your hair just 10 minutes ago. Yeah. I mean, how dare you? No. Um, but other things on the list were, uh, I don't find anything interesting in my analysis. And again, the answer there is just work harder to find your results sooner. Or so, make stuff up. No. Bad. That is academia ethics oh, 101. Damn. Do not do. Okay. Um, but I'd make a terrible ac academic, wouldn't I? Yes, yes, you would. You <laughs> but you also, I just need to work harder so I can get my results sooner and course correct if I need to. Yeah. Um, and other things are like, um, whether or not somebody else publishes exactly what I'm doing research on, which mm. is a little less likely, but also just something to be conscious of. Um, but I also took this and applied it to something in my personal life. So oh. I recently set a goal that I want to run a half marathon within the year. And I want to run it in less than two hours because I have done wow. one before, um, but I got really, really sick a week or two before with a lung infection and I had a really terrible time. So I, I didn't finish in two hours as I had expected to. So when I was thinking about some of the reasons that would prevent me from finishing a half marathon in under two hours, I came up with not running consistently each week. That's an obvious one, right? Mm. I mean, if you don't run consistently, you're not going to, if you don't put in the work, you won't get the outcome. Yeah. Um, Overtraining injury. I think that's something that I have had in the past where I've run way too much. Um, so I'll run like 70 kilometers a week. I don't know what that is in miles. Sorry, America. 12 miles. 
oh, I, I know that's wrong. But anyway, <laughs> 70 kilometers a week ended up with some pretty severe foot injuries. And that is a tendency of mine where I tend to overtrain on things. So I, I know this can lead to injuries. So I want to be really conscious of cross training. And the other thing is just spending time with cats, which is a weird thing to show up on your <laughs> list. But these are the types of things that come up in pre-mortems is that I'm severely allergic to cats and it takes me weeks to recover from spending time with cats because my lungs just like stop working when I'm around cats. So um, I just need to be really careful of that so I can breathe again on my next half marathon. Do you find after making these lists that the things you need to do differently come naturally or is that an extra layer of thought on top of the exercise. Well, this is pretty recent for me, but Mm, I know it's a nice thing. It just kind of materializes some of the things that I'm already aware of, but just makes it a bit more tangible. Like I should be worried about these things, so I need to act X, Y, and Z differently. Yeah, cool. How about you? Yeah, it it definitely requires an extra layer of thought. And uh, the, the, the fascinating thing that I find with this exercise is these things are, are kind of like a gateway to planning. So for, yeah. for an example, uh, you, you know, I, I, I'm looking at the list here, not enough podcast outreach for the second book. So when you promote a book, one of the things, at least a productivity book uh, that, that you do is you pr- appear on a lot of podcasts. And so that's kind of one little line in, in this list that led to a whole series of actions, <laughs> you know, having my, my assistant reach out to, to con- just contact people that uh, I've been in touch with and appear on those parts. So these things are kind of like things that lead to a cascade of effects sometimes. By the way, I I love that quote, if you don't put in the work, you won't get the outcome. Is that an original quote, Arden Nordstrom? I think it is. Wow. Good job. (laughs) I like that. So, so it, it's a it's a quickie today of of becoming better. A uh, few simple steps for a pre mortem. Number one, identify the projects that you really want to go well. They can be anything: personal, work, whatever. Uh, number two, imagine the projects failed miserably. What went wrong? Um, and number three, make a plan to make the project a bit more resilient using that list. Uh, it'll lead to some compelling outcomes. Nice. I'm so excited about this. I'm very excited that you introduced this to my life. It's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. So one way we've been ending these episodes as of late is by providing uh, you with something to think about and something that it's, it's my turn again this week. Sorry. (laughs) You, You got, you got a lot going on. Um, and we had this idea for a podcast at the last minute, so you are you are excused uh, from from this. <laughs> plus, plus, I just really wanted to share this idea. Uh, I've been digging into a lot of the research surrounding burnout of all things, and what one of the most fascinating things I've uncovered. I'm deep into the work of Christina Maslach, who is probably the world's foremost burnout researcher. And one of the most fascinating things that, that she writes about is how. We, we tend to see ourselves as burnt out, and we tend to think that it's our fault that we're so often burnt out. But one thing that she mentions repeatedly in the research is that burnout is often more about the company we work for 
instead of ourselves. Uh, in fact, there's six main things that she's identified that lead uh, to burnout. So burnout, it's not just exhaustion. It's, it's exhaustion coupled with uh, cynicism and negativity, um, as well as inefficacy. So the feeling that we're not productive. Uh, and so if that's one of the things that led you to a podcast like this one about productivity, it's worth keeping in mind that if you feel those things, it might not be your fault. It might be the fault of the company that you work for. It might be the fault of the boss that you have. You know, there's this saying that uh, people leave managers, not companies. And that's because managers create systems uh, of reward, of recognition, of just how a team works. And in fact, there's six kind of gateways to burnout that she's identified in the research. Uh, Number one is workload. So when our workload is far too high uh, for our capacity to get it done. Another one is control. So how much autonomy we have in our work. Another one is reward. So the whether or not we're rewarded properly, whether it's extrinsic or intrinsic, uh, community is another one. So we want to feel connected to the people uh, with whom we work. Uh, fairness is another one. Fairness in uh, how we're paid and, and how we get assigned work on every single different level. And values. So whether the company's values are aligned to our own. And the worse that our job is (laughs) on all six attributes, the more likely we are to burn out. And so this is something to keep in mind as a manager. If you're a manager, uh, for instance, how much work do your employees have? How much control do they have over how they get that work done? Uh, How are they rewarded? How much community is, is there in the work? How much fairness is there and and how uh, how is the work that you do connected to what people value? So these are six things to keep in mind, but I think the bigger overarching idea that's worth keeping in mind is that if you're feeling burnt out, especially right now, we got a lot going on, it might not be your fault. Keep that in mind. It might be the fault of the environment you're in, the company that you're working for. I love that. Very interesting. Yeah, it's it's fascinating to dig into the actual research. You know, you can read a, all the books on burnout that you want, but you can pick up one study that totally changes uh, the way you view view the construct. And uh, if you're into studies. I bet you very few people who listen to this podcast are. You never know. A lot of people knew what LaTeX was when you recommended that app. Uh, Christina Maslach, M-A-S-L-A-C-H. Check her work out. Yeah. She probably uses LaTeX. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to ask her. So so finishing up, becomingbettershow.com is where you can find the corresponding blog. Why are you laughing? The what corresponding. just happened? I don't know. I, you know how Eminem tries to make uh, one syllable last for five or six, and that's part of his genius? Uh, some say this is my part of my genius about podcasting. So becoming Maybe better show. Stick to your core competency. What Oof. might that be? Writing, I guess. Okay. Yeah, not speak. Why do I have a podcast? Becomingbettershow.com is where you can find the corresponding blog article for this episode. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we'll see you in a couple Tuesdays. Bye. 